Luke, two, Luke 10, 25 through 37. God's holy word tells us, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, do you think, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word to us this morning. Well, Jewish scholars generally agree that there are 613 laws in the Old Testament. 613 laws. 365 negative commandments, and by negative I mean thou shalt not commandments. And then there are 248 positive commandments. They're all positive because the law is good, right? But 613 commandments. Now the man who is here questioning Jesus that we've just read about is described as a lawyer. Now don't think about uh, the lawyers you see on TV uh, or, or on the billboards around town. This lawyer was an expert in the Mosaic law. Uh, a scholar specializing in the 613 laws of the Old Testament and their application to life. Now, surely Jesus was a curiosity to this man because Jesus was a poor carpenter's son from a village uh, on the wrong side of the tracks, Nazareth, yet he taught with authority. The lawyer had spent his life learning the law and learning to apply the law. And here's this one uneducated man teaching with authority. So this lawyer, it tells us, is checking Jesus out. He's examining him. That's what the word means, to test him. Now maybe he's trying to trap Jesus as others had tried and will continue to try as we read on through the Gospels. Or maybe he's just seeking answers himself. Perhaps in his study of the law, he finds that his conscience is pricked by the law. And maybe he realizes that he's not worthy of eternal life. We can't be sure of his motivation, but he's asking 
these very, very, well, this most basic and very, very important question. He asked, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Everyone should ask themselves that question. If you have never asked yourself that question, I want you to ask that question to yourself now. What shall you do to inherit eternal life? Is there a more important question than that one? Well, Jesus gets the man to answer his own question. He answers by citing the two great commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your strength, your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And as we've read elsewhere in Scripture, those two commandments, love the Lord your God with your whole being and your neighbor as yourself, that sums up all the commandments, all 613 commandments of the Old Testament. Every law in the Old Testament has to do with how we relate to God or how we relate to others. Just think of the, the, those two commandments. Uh, Every law has to do with that. You think of the Ten Commandments. The first four deal with our relationship to God, right? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not worship an idol in place of God. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain or in a pointless manner. You shall keep one day in seven to completely dedicate yourself to the worship of God. See, all those commands have to do with our relationship with God. And if you can keep those four commandments perfectly from the heart, you're well on your way to loving the Lord with your all. And the final six commandments of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship to others. It speaks of honoring parents and valuing the life and property of others. So all the commandments speak of our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with others. Now, it's a good answer that the lawyer gives here because Jesus agrees with him. If Jesus agrees with your answer, you got the right answer, right? He says to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Maybe that's surprising to some of you that Jesus would say that, but Jesus is merely agreeing with the Old Testament. Leviticus 18.5 says, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them... He shall live by them. I am the Lord. And Ezekiel goes to meet with the elders of Israel and uh, he gets a word from the Lord and he speaks it to these elders and he recounts the history that God had with the Israelites and he notes, this is Ezekiel 20 verse 11, I gave them my statutes and made known to them my rules by which if a person does them, he shall live. So, if you can love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself, you will inherit eternal life. If you can go through every moment of every day of your life always loving the Lord with an undivided heart, with all your being, with every fiber of your strength and with every thought in your mind and you can love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, even your enemies, then you will live forever. And that's not good news, is it? Because we can't do that. 
You know it's impossible for you to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind. And, and it is impossible to love your neighbor as yourself. You and I do not have the ability to do it perfectly. Just think about trying to do that. If you just said, I'm going to put my nose to the grindstone and I'm going to love God with every fiber of my being and I'm going to love everybody with whom I come in contact with perfectly. What would that look like? How would your life look if you did that? It's hard to even imagine what it would look like. It's so overwhelming to be that circumspect in our lives never deviating, never having our attention drawn off those two purposes, to love God completely and to love our neighbor as ourself. We, we, we forget. We naturally have this selfishness that arises and someone cuts us off in traffic, then where's the, where's the love for others at that point? It's way beyond our reach. The only way you can feel like you're doing it is to reinterpret the law to make it manageable. And that's what the lawyer is trying to do here. See the next thing, his next question. Who is my neighbor? Uh, see, what he wants to do is to trim that list of people he needs to love down. If, you, if your neighbor is only the people you like and with whom you agree, then it gets a little more attainable, right? Luke tells us, that the lawyer here is seeking to justify himself. He wants to believe that he's not guilty of breaking the second commandment. And if he can whittle that group down that he has to love, whittle it down to a manageable number, then he can be justified by that law. He can say, yes, I've kept that law. You know, if you get rid of all the Democrats or all the Republicans or the or all the communists, or all the terrorists, or all the people that you don't like in the world, and, and then you eliminate all the people you don't know, and maybe you want to trim out uh, the people that are driving because you, know, you never know what's going to happen there, and you just focused in on maybe the people that you know and you like, well, then maybe you might have a little bit of a chance to love them as much as you love yourself, Probably not. But it is a bit more manageable. And you can talk yourself into the fact that maybe I've done that. Well, that's what the lawyer wants to do. And we're, not, we're all like this lawyer. We have a tendency to think that, you know, if we have done a few things that the law requires, then we've fulfilled it all. We're justified. God should give us eternal life. We have this tendency to think that if we walked an aisle and we prayed a prayer and are good moral people who go to church on Sunday and read our Bibles and pray on occasion and are nice to other people, then we've kept God's law perfectly. And we're justified. God must give us eternal life because we've earned it. Do you think this way? If God were to ask you, why should I give you eternal life? Why should I give you eternal life? What would your answer be? Because I fill in the blank. Well, let me tell you, if your answer begins like that, if your answer 
begins with, because I, then you are seeking to justify yourself. You are pointing to something that you have done to save yourself. By some work that you are doing or have done. You see, keeping laws, keeping rules, following a code cannot justify you because you cannot do it perfectly. Now another way we Christians fall into this way of thinking is when we do fall into sin and think that God rejects us because we didn't live up to the certain standard or or code we have set for ourselves. We are thinking that our works are what keeps us in good favor with God. Well, that's, that's erroneous thinking. That's thinking that our justification, our acceptance by God is based on things that we do. Jesus is trying to get this lawyer and you and me to see that none of us can be justified by keeping the law. We can't keep it perfectly, to say the least. Some, some of you will do better than others. But what do we hear earlier from James? Chapter ten or chapter two, verse ten. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Yet how many of you are trying to do that very thing? Look at how Jesus answers the question Who is my neighbor? And you'll see there how Jesus answers it, that he's trying to get the lawyer and us to see that we can only be saved by his mercy. We can only be saved by his mercy. The lawyer, seeking to justify himself, asks, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus then tells one of the most well-known and beloved parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I mean, it's so well-known, it's in our vernacular, in our language. People use, talk about being a Good Samaritan Every day, people who've never darkened the door of a church. We have laws that are called Good Samaritan laws that protect people that would go and help someone who's in trouble so they wouldn't be held liable. You know, we have, there, there are sometimes people who go, well, I don't want to get involved because I might get sued. Well, Good Samaritan laws are there to protect citizens who would come alongside and help others and to make sure that They feel free to be able to go and help others. It's an encouragement for us to be like the Good Samaritan. So this Good Samaritan, he tells this story to us, this parable to us. A man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, certainly a Jewish person, from worshiping in the temple possibly, and he's accosted on the road to Jericho and left for dead. A priest passes by, sees him, crosses on the other side of the road. A Levite comes by, same thing, passes by. Probably they were leaving the temple themselves from their time of serving there as priest and Levite. They pass by on the other side of the road, probably because they did not want to touch someone who would make them ceremonially unclean. You touched a dead body, which this guy's half dead, not, he's, he's mostly dead, to quote the Princess Bride. But he's there, and they don't know if he's dead or not, and probably don't want to get close enough to find out, because if he's dead, they would be considered unclean. 
A Samaritan then comes along and he helps the man. He goes the extra mile to make sure that the man is taken care of. He binds up his wounds, he takes him to an inn, and he leaves some money to take care of his future care. A Samaritan. Now, Samaritans originated when the northern kingdom was conquered by the Assyrians. We had the divided kingdom, Israel and Judah. Israel's cap capital was Samaria. And uh, when the Assyrians came in, they uh, ran out uh, all the, the, well, they put through into exile some of the people that were there and left others, the poorest of the land. And then they brought people from other foreign lands and brought them into the northern kingdom, into that area. Those people all intermingled. Uh, they intermarried. They mashed up their religions, so they became syncretistic. And so the Samaritans were kind of half Jewish, half something else, people with heretical views in the, the eyes of Jewish people. And so the Jews of Jesus' day looked down on the Samaritans as mixed-race heretics. They wouldn't even travel into those places where there were Samaritans. And we saw uh, in chapter 9... Uh, just this past week or two ago where the Samaritan village wouldn't receive Jesus simply because he was on his way to Jerusalem. He's Jewish. He's going to worship there. They worship somewhere else. And they wouldn't have anything to do with Jesus. And, of course, James and John wanted to call down fire from heaven on them, and Jesus rebukes them. Well, usually, when people interpret this parable, they make the valid point valid point that Jesus is telling the lawyer that anyone who needs help is our neighbor. And we shouldn't let our prejudice or bigotry get in the way of that. We should be indiscriminate about showing mercy and love to others. And that's certainly true. However, there, there's more here than might meet the eye. You remember that Jesus is answering a question with this parable. And that question is, who is my neighbor? Who is it in this story? We tend to think, off the top of our heads, that the answer, according to the parable, is the guy who got mugged and left on the side of the road, half dead. And we should all be like the Good Samaritan. That's not what Jesus is saying. Look at verse 36. Jesus asks the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. Who is the neighbor? The Good Samaritan is the neighbor. So this parable teaches us to not be bigoted towards our enemies, right? Well, the Bible teaches that, yes, and that's a valid point. But again, look carefully at how Jesus asks this question. Which of these three do you think Prove to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. A neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. What question is he answering? Who is my neighbor? Who is the lawyer's neighbor? Who is a neighbor to the man on the side of the road in need of mercy? You see... See what Jesus is doing here? He's forcing the lawyer to identify with the man half dead on the side of the road, helpless and in need of mercy. 
Now, if the lawyer's just listening to this story, who is he most likely to identify with? Who does he have most in common with? It's not the man on the side of the road. It's the priest and the Levite. The priest and the Levite, like the lawyer, were religious. They were... They, they cared about God's law. They sought to, to keep God's law. In fact, most likely the reason that they don't help the man is because they're trying to keep God's law. You see, they, like this lawyer, were committed to keeping the law. And when Jesus asks, which of these proved to be a neighbor to the man on the side of the road, he is making the man see that the law is no help to him. He needs mercy. He doesn't need to figure out which laws to keep or how he can manage to keep them. The only thing that can save him is mercy, not keeping the law. And perhaps more specifically, Jesus is saying that this man needs his mercy, Jesus' mercy. And we pondered earlier what this man's motivation was for testing Jesus. He was He's probably seeking to be critical of Jesus, to be able to dismiss Jesus. Jesus was uneducated. Jesus was poor. He was everything that this lawyer was not. But Jesus, by his love for this man, is showing them that he needs to not criticize Jesus and rely on the law. Rather, he needs to receive the mercy that Jesus extends. The man, like us, needs to receive mercy and then extend mercy. The law cannot save you. Following a code cannot save you. The law places you squarely under its curse because you can't keep it. Paul makes this argument in Galatians chapter 3. He tells us point blank. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. He's quoting the Old Testament. Verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. That's that Leviticus passage I quoted earlier that Paul is quoting here. And here's the great news. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus took the curse for us. He kept the law perfectly. He was the only person who ever walked the face of the earth. He didn't have a sin nature, and he never sinned. He kept all 613 laws perfectly throughout his entire life in thought, word, and deed. And he died in the place of sinners, a perfect sacrifice in place of sinners to free us from the curse. Don't run to the law. Run to Jesus and his mercy. Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. 
the elder that I had with me in England when I planted the church there, that was the verse that he was converted by. He went to meet his minister. He wasn't sure of where he was with the Lord, and the minister quoted that verse to him. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And that's where my friend Stephen Johnson said he came to know the Lord. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. That's what the lawyer was looking for. How do I inherit eternal life? How do you inherit eternal life? It's not through keeping the law. It's through Jesus and he will raise us up on the last day. The lawyer asked a pertinent question, right? <clears throat> what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now that word inherit is important. What must you do to inherit anything? What must I do to inherit Bill Gates' fortune? What must I do to inherit Donald Trump's fortune? What must I do to inherit Warren Buffett's fortune? There ain't much I can do. <laughs> because I'm not their children. I don't even know them. How do we inherit anything? You have to be a child to be, you know, normally to inherit something. And the same is true of the Christian. How are we going to inherit eternal life? Well, we've got to come into his family. And he invites us into his family to be part of his, his family, to be one of his children. He adopts us into his family and he promises us eternal life. You can't do anything to receive that. He's, he's the one who adopts us. He's the one who brings us in, shows us mercy, grabs us up off the side of the road, cleans us up, and provides for our future. That's Jesus in his mercy. Run to him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again for this wonderful good news. Lord, we grow weary often trying to keep the law ourselves and earn your favor. We have that mindset. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for trying with our own pitiful little efforts to earn our way and make you obliged to us. Lord, help us to just remember that all we have is sin and we are lost save your mercy. We throw ourselves upon your mercy, Lord, and I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would rest upon your mercy, your work, what you've done to save us. And Lord, I pray for those who may not know you today, that they would come to know you, come into your family, seek you out, you know, and, and, and cling to that promise that whoever comes to me, you will never cast out. Lord, we thank you for the food of your word, and we thank you for the food that we're about to eat as we gather together as your people around a, a table and fellowship with one another. Lord, may it remind us that we're part of your family. 
because of your mercy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.